Tonight we are going to continue on Romans chapter 9. So we're going to be starting in, well, we'll go ahead and recap. We'll, we'll go ahead and hit verse number 17 just to recap and then read through um, our first section tonight. We're going to read verses 17 through 24. New Living Translation is what I'm reading from. So verse 17 says, For the scriptures say that God told Pharaoh, I have appointed you for the very purpose of displaying my power in you and to spread my fame throughout the earth. So we were talking about last week how we ended on the concept of, you know, do the unsaved have a purpose? And we realized that everybody has a purpose here on earth. And if we engage into what the Father has for us, sometimes that purpose goes beyond what we would have just normally seen. Verse 18 continues on and says, So you see, God chooses to show mercy to some, and he chooses to harden the hearts of others so they refuse to listen. In verse 19 says, well, then you might say, why does God blame people for not responding? Haven't they simply done what he makes them do? <laughs> and honestly, you know, a lot of people could think that way because it looks, you know, if God knows what's going to happen, could he, you know, shift things? And that's, that's kind of the mentality they think of. But in reality, he's honestly just looking at what we do and he can see ahead of what we do and he knows what we're doing. It's not so much that he has positioned us to function in that area, but he's given us a choice to. And then we, of course, have choices to make or forks in the road at different points in life, kind of like, a, you know, anybody throughout the Word of God, Paul. I mean, Paul could have got knocked on his butt and still been hard and just, you know, said, hey, I'm blind. Get me a doctor so I can see, and we'll still kill some Christians. Or um, Jonah got swallowed by the fish, he could have just given up hope and just said, I'm going to die, you know? And of course, the end of it would have never heard. So, even though we see that God has patterns and processes for people, they don't always choose the ones that he's laid out in certain ways. And then there's other times when he's able to guide things around to be a different way, because what does it say? It says he can use those things which are meant for evil, and he can turn it out for our good. So verse 20 goes on and says, no, don't say that. Who are you, a mere human being, to argue with God? Should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, why have you made me like this? When a potter makes jars out of clay, does he have a right to use the lump of clay to make one jar for decoration and another to throw garbage into? In the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he is very patient with those on whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy, who were prepared in advance for glory, and we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Which, of course, gives us an honest answer to grace, right? <laughs> because we're included in the his chosen people. If you look at verse 20, this was another point when it was kind of an interesting statement that was made, but it was interesting that it said that why are things the way they are? And a lot of times we get to this point in life when things get hard or complicated. Whenever we hit a road bump, uh, whenever we lose a job, <laughs> whenever our car goes kaput, 
whenever all these kind of things happen, we're really engaged into the fact of why. Why, 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 why? Whenever anything seems like an uphill battle, why? Because we think everything should be perfectly smooth, perfectly easy, going right, why? Because I'm following after God. Well, it doesn't mean that everything's going to be super easy. It just means that he's going to be with you and it makes it easier because I can't imagine how people make it without God through certain situations. I'm just saying, death, for instance, mm -mm. without God, that'd be horrible to deal with, you know? Deal with the death of a family member. Or, you know, certain things that go on, or disasters, or things going on around the world. When things get hard, that's one of the things we cry out. We're like, why? Why does this happen? Why are you doing this? We have to be careful that we don't put a blame on God for something that he didn't make happen. We were the ones who allowed it to happen. In fact, I was talking to somebody uh, the other day. If you happen to follow me on Facebook, I am part of a group called Wisdom App. And so uh, it's a special app that they invited me to be a part of because they like my podcast. And basically people can go on there and ask questions and then you can respond with them and it kind of creates some dialogue there to help people, you know, get some, basically some wisdom and understanding in certain areas. And so the other day they mentioned that they, um, that they created a thing where you can actually ask a question and get a verbal response. So I can actually respond to them verbally through the app uh, and then it's available for other people to hear as well. And one of the questions was, if you are sick and you don't get healing while you're here on earth, do you get it in heaven? So my response to that was, and I don't go off of myself because of course myself messes up tons of stuff, but I go off of what God's given me. And the thing was, is that he has shown me that healing is ours, okay? Just want to let you know that. Healing is ours. It's been done. It's paid for. It's done. We have it. It exists. Now, the problem is, is Satan tries to deceive us into thinking that we don't have it, when in reality, it's ours. It's here. In fact, I was listening to uh, a man of God speak on it, and I love this concept because he said, so many times we look at getting to healing when healing is already there. You see what I'm saying? And so we're looking to go to a point so we can get healed. But in reality, we already have it, and Satan has said, ah, you ain't got it. Oh, come on. <coughs> you, you don't feel that great. You know what I'm saying? And he encourages these things, and so automatically, as human beings, hey, which one do we go through? Do we go easily to the frailty of ourselves, or do we go to faith? And I'm going to say a lot of times, human beings, we go to frailty, right? And so we look back at that. And so I was telling them that I said that healing is ours. Whether we receive it now or whether we receive it later is kind of at a point in a transition where we're ready to receive it. And then I said sometimes there's an ultimate healing that sometimes that goes, someone passes from this life to the next. And so there's different things there to understand, but it's the fact that, you know, it kind of opens your perspective and helps you to see things a little bit differently as far as that God has provided us the knowledge and the understanding to be able to speak the words that he and the promises that he's provided for us and take advantage of that. Question number one um, on our questions tonight says, should the thing that was created say to the one who created it, uh, why have you made me like this? And I thought it was interesting, the story that it tells after this. It was interesting that um, it's talking about a potter and it says, you know, it's the potter's right to make one jug, or, you know, use one piece of clay 
and make two things out of it and make one be a beautiful decoration of art and another one be a trash can. You know, it still serves its purpose. It still does exactly what it's supposed to do. And so a lot of times we see, you know, the, the we want to all be the beautiful decoration. But then a lot of times we forget and don't realize that there's something else that we could be a part of. And I'm reminded of that tree story. Have you all ever heard that, that, like the three trees? You know, they all want to be something important. One gets made into the cross. One gets made into like a ship or something like that where Jesus goes across the ocean. And I can't remember what the third one was. But anyway, it was kind of cool. And so it's, it's got that concept there. And so if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay, this is the scripture where Paul is talking about, for just as we are, our body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, are one body. So basically what it's saying is it's saying that we are all part of one body, but we each make up different parts of that body. And so collectively, we make up what is necessary. So if you don't think about it, and somebody said this one time, they said, you know, you don't think about like a, a pinky toe being important. A pinky toe is very important. Every single part of your body serves a purpose. You know, each one of our parts of our body are so important. And so we can't say that one is, you know, not as important as another. Or I can do without this or I can do without that. And we have to realize that as the body of Christ, that just because we may not have a, uh, a position of notoriety or we may not, have, we may, may not be noticed, as much that we're still very important to what God's doing. In fact, God led me a lot to that when it seemed like my only jobs in the church were like, you know, uh, chairs and tables and bathrooms and sweeping and mop, you know, <laughs> all those kind of just tasks that it seemed like, you know, anybody could do this, you know. But it taught me to the fact that, you know what, all this is necessary. Like if no one ever cleaned the bathrooms, bathrooms would be nasty and no one would come to church. Why? Because It'd be like using an outhouse inside the church, you know? They just wouldn't want to be a part of that. Trust me, I don't go to sporting events for the same reason. I don't like the bathrooms. I know that may be weird, but you can watch them on TV and have a perfect bathroom at home. And so, and that scripture continues on, for in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. So it's talking about that we've all come together as one individual to serve a purpose. And so instead of asking God, why did you do this? We should say, how can I serve in this position that you've given? And be the best that we can be. It's interesting because early on in ministry, I was really big on positions. Like I wanted the title. And I got to the point where it's like sickening because I was like, number one, I'm not getting any titles. Number two, it's like, What's the purpose? I'm still serving in areas that I want to serve in, so what's the point? So I said, fine, God, I don't want a position. And then I started getting positions. But it was the fact that it was what I was looking for, okay? I don't need to be looking so much for a title or a, you know, fashion part or whatever, or to be seen or to be decorative, but I need to be useful in what I'm doing. Like, I've noticed at times that there's been times when I had no, like, visible part in anything, but it was simply just an encouraging word I said to somebody that made, you know, made them shift something in their life. I was in at Messenger College, and we went on a uh, outing to an Indian missions church, Blue Hot House, with the leader of that church, and 
we were there and I got asked to go up and give a testimony. Well, my testimony is kind of unique because I was a pastor's kid, you know, so I didn't have a whole lot of stories through my lifetime like other people did. And so, but I just gave my testimony and was very just honest about it and said, you know, this is things I've been through and these were some sorry choices I made when I went out on my own. And, but then I realized that God really had a purpose for me. And out of that, somebody got saved, rededicated their lives to God, and brought their whole family, and now they're in full-time ministry. The Indian missionaries at that time, uh, who were over all that department and everything, uh, would go around and tell that story of you know me sharing the testimony and stuff like that. And so it was kind of interesting because I was just going to go be a part of it. I wasn't so much wanting to say anything, but uh, just that little thing uh, helped. Why are we, or why has God created us the way we're created and for the purpose we were created for is for his glory. In fact, we listened to that song last week, right? You get the glory. It's all about God. It's not about us. And the sooner we realize that, the easier it is. In fact, it takes a lot of pressure off when you realize that it's not about you. <laughs> so if you fail, it's okay because it'll still pass on. God's still got a purpose. God's still got a plan and he's going to make it continue. Next, uh, let's look at verse 22. This is interesting because, you know, a lot of times when we think of God, we, we see two sides to him. And this is something that we all see. But we see, like, you know, the, the pleasant father God, you know, who has his children. And then we seem to see this other God who is pouring out his wrath and his judgment. The interesting thing about this is we automatically want to be on his good side, <laughs> right? Um, even though, even as his own children would step away from that a lot of times. But the interesting thing that I like here is the way the scripture brings it out. He's slow to anger. So he's very patient with those on whom his anger will fall out on. Why? Because he's not wanting to destroy people. He's not wanting to hurt people. He's not wanting to, you know, he doesn't want anybody to go to hell. But there will be those who do. Why? Because that's their choice. That's what they've chosen. But at the same time, God doesn't want that. And so he's very patient. But at the same time, we have to understand that he's a just God, right? He's very just. He's, you know, there's justice in what he does and he accomplishes. In the end, it's kind of like one of those things that, you know, if you set up some rules and regulations and you have, you know, if this happens, this person could do this, or if this happens, this person could do this, and then wouldn't you know it, one of your kids mess up on the rules and have to be punished for it? You're real like, oh. Shoot, why did I do that? Or why did I pick this certain rule? But then you have to punish your own child. And it doesn't seem right, but at the same time, you have to have them understand that there are rules and regulations that you have to live by. We can't just do whatever we want to do. So if you look at it, uh, question number two actually says he is very patient with those that his anger falls on who are destined for destruction. Why? Because once again, he's not in the mode of just ending people. Because he's about life and life more eternal. In fact, if you look at it, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, and these are, like I said, just supporting scriptures to go along with this, but I love this. The rock. His work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness, and without iniquity, just and upright is he. So you got to understand that he has the ideal that he is putting forth, that he says... Look, I'm going to give you a choice. And in fact, uh, one of the scriptures that I was led to today working on something completely different was the fact of choose life or choose death. It's like, I've given you a choice. Now, you must choose what you must choose. 
But in the end, if you choose this, this is what will come of it, right? And if you choose this, this is what will come of it. And so we have to understand that. But he does not want to, nor is he quick to pour out his anger and wrath on people. He's just not. In fact, there's times when he has allowed speakers on this earth to actually to uh, talk him down, <laughs> right? Um, we heard of the story that says that, uh, um, you know, Abraham was like, uh, don't destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What if we find, you know, this many faithful people, you know, this many faithful people, and it keeps on going down. God is like, okay, if we can find this many, if we can find this many. He knows what's going to happen in the end, but he's like, try, you know? And if you can find it, great, because this isn't something I enjoy doing. Because you have to understand this, and this is something we don't really understand fully. And I think we approached this last week. I'm not 100% sure, but God created who? Right? All of us, right? So we are all, whether we're prodigal or back, you know, prodigal children who are brought back, or whether we're lost children, we're all his kids. We're all made in his image. And so you have to realize that God, I mean, like you as a parent, would not want to destroy your children. And so that's what he's having to do. But in the end, he has that. But I like the fact that it says he's slow to do that. Like he's very passionate. He's very slow. But the thing in it that I really like, though, is the fact that it talks about that he does that. Like his anger falls, but he does it very patiently. Why? Because then it makes the riches of his glory shine even brighter on his mercy. So he's very patient in doing this because he doesn't want to. It makes his mercy even just abound, right? Because there are times when he is in the mode of what? Nineveh was going to be destroyed if they didn't turn around. And as we know, Jonah goes, speaks the word of God finally, after smelling like tuna. That he goes and speaks the word and they turn around and change and then his mercy is shown. But they were headed for a bad place. And they knew it. Because when they were approached with the word, then they saw that. Matthew chapter 18 talks about the parable of the lost sheep. And I love this. Because it says, It is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So like I said, God's not wanting anybody to get left behind. God's not wanting to destroy anybody. God's not wanting even one to be lost. He has the 99, but he will go after that just one. And it's the fact that he will go after the one who is lost to bring them back because that's how important it is. Because each one of us are valuable. Um, whether, like I said, we have already come back to God or whether we haven't made it there yet. Um, if we look at question number three, it says, oh wait, he does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. That song still blows me away. I'm sorry that you get the glory because I wasn't expecting that song and it changed a huge perspective on me. Um, and so whenever I say the word glory, it's just like, would you get the goosey pimples all over? You know, It just really affects me. It's just like every time I say glory, woo! In fact, my dad used to do that and now I understand why. <laughs> he was always like, glory! But that was interesting because it was just brought across in a certain way that really made it stick out in my head. So we're going to continue on, and we're going to look, uh, start at verse 25 and go through verse 29. 
Verse 25 says, Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel as, are as numerous as the sands of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Isaiah said the same thing in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. A very intense passage of scripture, right? And I think what's interesting is not only that God is wanting to refer to people who were outside of the fold as his children, but if you'll notice, it says, then at the place where they were told you are not my people, you have become now children of the living God, isn't that interesting? Because you know what that means? That means that he went back and changed the past statements that said they were not to they are now. Isn't that neat? And so he literally, it says, it says the place where you were called these things, where you were told you're not my people, now you're called your child of God. And that's just amazing because it becomes a reality in our life that we realize that this was the purpose and this was the point all along. It was never about keeping us separated from what God had. It was not about sending us down here to earth to suffer, right? <laughs> and being utter spoiled and uh, go on about that. But it was about God wanting to reach out to us. This scripture really reaches out to, and it's talking, and it actually says concerning the Gentiles. So it's talking about the Gentiles or those uh, who are not of the uh, you know, Jewish descent. So those who weren't my people will be my people. Like I said, it's neat because it's talking about that um, nobody saw them as part of it. In fact, they had a lot of um, religious traditions and cultures that were not seen by the Gentiles, right? And so there were people who just didn't look like us, you know, and so or who didn't do the things the way they do. And so there were things that they just they just seemed different. And so it's interesting because um, other people saw these people that way, and it's almost like a despise. It was kind of like almost like the Samaritans in a way, except for these were worse than Samaritans because they didn't have any time in the beginning. And so they had been totally separated from God. Question four says, those who are not my people, I will now call my people. Uh, that's in verse 25. Earlier we pointed out, that if you listen to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, and this is God's plan. I love it. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news, right? We shared that last week. Who share the good news, each equally in the riches inherited by God's children. So they're going to share. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. It's kind of like the prodigal son story, right? It's kind of like uh, the son who had been there the whole time was like, I don't understand why you're bringing him back in. He messed up and spent all your money and went out and wasted everything. Why would you treat him like back at the same level as me? Because he's not. And then his father was like, yeah, but he was lost, and now he's returned. He was dead, and now he's alive. You know what I'm saying? And so he brought him back to that point. And so the interesting thing here is the dynamics between the two people. 
So you have those who have been the children of God, right? And then you have those of us who are considered like the black sheep adopted into the family of God. And you have these dynamics where it looks like it looks like we're separate. But God said what? He said, I brought you together. And whoever believes in me is going to share equally in the riches that I have. So in other words, you've heard the story before where it talked about the guy who went out and hired people at the beginning of the day and paid them a, a fee. And then he goes out and hires some at lunch, pays them the same thing, promises them the same thing. He goes towards the end of the day, they got about an hour or two left, and he pays them the same thing. And at the end of the day, he's paying them all the same. And they're like, why'd you pay them the same? And he goes, isn't it my choice to do what I want to with my money? And it was interesting because they thought like they had deserved something more. But honestly, they had agreed for that. You know, that's what they've been appointed to. And so I think a lot of it is the fact that we need to understand that we can't earn or work to be better. You know, it's completely by God's grace. It's completely by his mercy. We have no, we have no chance or ability to earn anything on our own. And then if you look at, and now he says the Israelites, right? He's talking about the Israelites, and he said, you know, it's just, nor he, uh, they're enormous, and they're uh, as many as the sand of the seashore, which that's a lot of sand. And I'm telling you what, I hate the seashore, honestly, because sand gets in places and you can't get it out. And there's a lot of it, because you go home with some of it, and there's still a full beach there. So I can't imagine how many people that would be, you know, if you were the sand, like the sands of the seashore. And it's interesting because it says, uh, I love how Isaiah brings this out because Isaiah being one of them, he's like, you got to understand, children of God, if God hadn't had mercy on us, we would have been done for. There would be no none of us left. I mean, we have to understand that just because we were called his children doesn't give us any certain inalienable rights so much. But we still have to follow after what God wants. You know, it still requires something of us. Not so much that we can do anything special, but it's what? It's doing what God has called us to do. It's simply following after what he has shown us. And honestly, I don't know why anybody would want to do anything different. Why would you, why would you want to go outside of that? Why would you want to be uh, separate from that? And so it's interesting that Isaiah is saying this. If God hadn't spared us, we'd be done. Those who were my people still receive, so basically those people still receive punishment, right? We saw so many times when they were brought into slavery, when they were attacked and certain ones of them were killed and different things happened. Sicknesses, illnesses that happened uh, in the camp. And so, once again, it's the same as that earlier scripture, Ephesians 3, 6 that we talked about. It's, it was about believing, right? So it's the same with the Gentiles as the Israelites. It was the same thing. It was like, you got to believe. Because up to that point, they had been under the fact of the law, right? And then when Christ came, he completed the law. So then on the other side of this, you're looking at it and saying that um, in that completion now, I don't have to continue to do these things that are, you know, that we had to, you know, pay for and we had to do these things to every day consecrate this. Because what? Because the sacrificial thing that was done when Christ died on the cross is eternal. Otherwise, what? Every day, every week, they would go to the place of prayer. They would have to sacrifice. They would have to do this. They would have to do certain things. Why? Because it was just a momentary covering, and it wasn't eternal. And so when Christ did that, he brought that about. 
Like I said, the prophet of God said that only by the grace of God is the Israelites even survive to that point. So he understood and he brought that out. And I love the way he brought that out um, because, you know, of course, nobody else could have done it but someone who was part of the crew, you know. Question five says, if the Lord had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out. And then I also put in here the Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. I said, both Gentiles and Jews who, what? Believe the good news, share equally in the riches inherited by God's kids. We are going to continue on and read from verse 30 to 33, which will end the chapter 4. Uh, verse 30, it says, What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. Obviously, what this is saying is there were those, there were the Israelites who were trying to follow God's standards, and who were made right with God to a point, right? But then they thought that they could just continue that pathway, but it then required faith, right? Because Abraham even saw that, right? Abraham was ready to sacrifice because sacrifice was what he knew. Sacrifice was what made it available. But what did what God show? God showed him before anybody else had an understanding of it that it was about faith in God. Okay. Uh, but the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law... <laughs> and I love it because technically law is, uh, in quotes, it says by works. Instead of by trusting in him, they stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scripture when he said, and this was taken from an earlier passage of scripture back in the Old Testament, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem, or Zion, that makes people stumble, <laughs> a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Remember that? But it was important that they understood that there were going to be some people who weren't going to fully grab on hold of that. It's neat how, uh, like, Scripture speaks to each other. Like, you could sit there, I'm serious, I love doing this sometimes. Like, you, you see the, like, little A, B, C's or something, you know, in the Bible, and you say that, oh, this goes to here. So you jump back to this Scripture, and you're going through, and then it jumps to a different Scripture, you know. And it's neat how all these pieces just tie together so awesomely, this, like, you know what? It's not like this isn't something you didn't know. You knew it. Let's look at faith. So the Gentiles, right, had not understood the concept of works, right? They weren't, they weren't on board with that concept of you got to do this, 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 to do this, 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 and this, to make sure you're okay. They came into a point it had to be faith, but... What was so strange about faith is that faith is a concept that we don't really grab a hold of, right? Because it's outside of our feeling. I don't know about y'all, but there's five senses that we use to understand things, and that is not within those five, five senses. Yeah, it's not tangible. And so we have to reach out beyond something that we have uh, just fully understood or can fully grab a hold of or touch and go on faith. In fact, Romans chapter 4, verse 5, which, once again, right, we went from Romans 9, now we're going back to Romans 4. And earlier we were like in Romans 11. But people recounted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. We see those who were had already begun a process of working, 
that. But did you understand that working in that also required faith? So it wasn't like they were unaware of that faith principle because they were in faith doing these things, believing that it would take care of this thing, right? And but the problem is, though, is once again, it's something they can't they can't think out or they can't write down. Or, yeah, it becomes it becomes confusing. Like if somebody came up to me today and said two plus two equals three, I'd be like, what? Even though math is the only thing I've ever held to because I love it, <laughs> because it's got to answer all the time. So question number seven said the Gentiles were made right with God, and it was by faith that this took place. So now let's look at the other side of the story, right, which is considered works. So Israelites had works, but then they had an issue with being full of faith. And in saying that, they felt like they still needed to do something, you know, that they still needed to hold each other accountable in some way. So they couldn't, they couldn't get rid of this and accept this. And so it became really hard for them and really, um, like I said, it became intense and confusing because they were like, okay, Scripture says that I'm not supposed to murder. I'm not supposed to envy, right? And these are commandments that they held to, right? But in faith, if we're going after God with all that we are and believe that we have been redeemed and are part of what he has offered and we're part of that love triangle in a way, right? We're part of the love triangle, then us to God and everybody else, right? We're connected with that. And so I'm not going to kill somebody I love. So I've removed myself from that. You see what I'm saying? I'm almost, uh, I'm almost meeting that criteria without even trying to because it's part of it. But they couldn't, they, they had a hard time separating that. Commandments become promises. That's a good note. Kay said that, by the way, for you online. Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 6. And since it is through God's kindness, then, it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is for an undeserved. <laughs> it's got to be complicated. I mean, God's got to at times go, okay, let's try this again. <laughs> you know, uh, I gave you this gift. You do not have to do all these steps to get to that. You can't make it on your own, okay? You're just never going to do it. But I've given this to you, and you have to, in faith, come receiving and believing, and you're going to attain it. We look at this, and we have to be very careful because faith versus works, right? <laughs> and there was a huge battle, right, in the church. And uh, the guy who really brought it into culmination was James, right? So James chapter 2, verse 22 says, Just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. We're not saying you're not supposed to do good works. Because if you have faith, you will do good works. We think it's hard, but sometimes it's easier than we think because we're literally just falling into place. <laughs> it's like, get in the groove. So saying my works alone produce nothing, but my faith produces works. And so we have to understand that works alone won't do anything, but at the same time, faith alone isn't valuable because it causes us to do nothing. And so faith should cause us to 
to perform, to perform action, uh, believing in who we're part of. Work, okay, so works alone produces nothing, but my faith produces works. Uh, question eight says, the Israelites were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. Question nine says, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. And then the last one says, faith is what? Without good. Faith is dead without good works. And so we see a, uh, we see a culmination. Everything that Christ did through death and the cross, what? Was a completion of that. And so honestly, yes, we are fulfilling <laughs> what has been laid into place. Paul just has an amazing way of saying things. And why wouldn't he? Because, you know, he was gung-ho killing, and he was gung-ho on the other side. So basically you're saying that the introduction of um, God including those who were not part of the Israelites and allowing them to come in and be a part of that was kind of an introduction to what is now saying that the Gentiles are included in that same body of believers. It just requires something different now. <laughs> it's the only difference. Kim said that one, though. 